Reitman University. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. Welcome to the Wandering Jews Podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Edelman. I thank you for joining me on this journey to explore the diverse experiences of modern Jewry. Today's guest is a very special person who more than most lives life with deep intentionality. I would like to welcome this beautiful human, Megan Rathbun. She's a student here at Reichman University studying communications and hails from Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's such mm. a pleasure. Um, I want to start off the interview with asking you a question from our previous guest, our mutual sure. friend, Naomi. Yes, okay. love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Okay, so I had a, she has a question for you. So she asked the following, what significant decision did you make that changed your life and pivoted your path? Why was it significant? And would you do it again or would you change it? I love that question so much. Um, I think the most significant decision I made was the choice to move here. It wasn't planned, but it changed my life so much. Like, I came here on Masa, and I just never went home. And the decision to make Aliyah really just, like, forged this path of my life that like I'm so grateful that I have and I would never live anywhere else and from moving here so many decisions were then made like simultaneously like going to school here and all these things and I would never change it that's amazing that's really beautiful Mm -hmm. wow what a good answer to start off with um I want to I definitely want to ask you more about that but I guess let's try let's try to go a little more in chronological order of your life so you were born in Salt Lake City Utah correct I was First of all, you're the only <laughs> Jew I've ever met from there. That place is mainly Mormon, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I wanted to ask you, what was it like growing up there? So the amount of times that people say that to me is actually hilarious. Like, you're yeah. the only one I've ever met. Yeah. I always am. Um, I had never met a Jew outside of, like, synagogue in Utah until I was 14. Like, you don't, like, walk the streets and, like, you know? So it was interesting, and I didn't know I was experiencing anti-Semitism until I was much older, and I look back, and I'm like, okay, that's not okay. (laughs) Like, people would make Jew jokes to me and, like, Holocaust jokes, and, like, they would think that it's funny. And, like, I would laugh because I didn't really know what else to do because I didn't understand, like, the weight of it, I guess. Um, and everybody, like, in my experience, like, they're very nice people, but they're very, like, um, this is our group, and if you don't meet the criteria of our group, then you can't be in our group. Mm. If you're not Mm. Mormon, and you don't go to church, and you don't pray, and you don't do all these things, if you swear, if you drink alcohol, if you dress a certain way, like, all of these things, you can't, like, sit with us, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was also really interesting and hard. Wow. Wait, I want to ask you about that. So why do you think that you didn't have that sensitivity to anti-Semitic comments? Um, 
I think just because I grew up around Mormon people. My dad is Mormon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And for the first seven years of my life, before my parents got divorced, I went to church every Sunday and synagogue every Friday. Wow. So I was mamash in two different worlds. Wow. And so I think maybe just because I grew up around them, I don't think they knew what they were doing either. We were all kids. Like, I don't think they also understood the weight of it. For sure. But so I think I just didn't really care because, first of all, I don't think I really knew what anti-Semitism was. Right. And I didn't. So I just, I don't know. I just guess I didn't know I was experiencing it. Right. Which which world did you feel that you identified more with? Judaism. Judaism. 100%. Why was that? Um, I honestly, I don't know. I think it's because maybe it's a byproduct of like my parents divorce. Like it was kind of nasty and not good. And like Mm -hmm. my mom got custody of us. And so she just raised us in Judaism. Like she had been doing the entire time. And so I was kind Mm -hmm. of taken out of the Mormon world when I was like seven. So maybe I just can't like experienced it more so I connected with it more but I felt less judged in Judaism Mm. growing up in Utah Mm. like yeah I just felt less judged I felt like it was a much more welcoming space and when I was little even going to church like I felt like I was playing a role even at six which like that's not normal right right so not to like bash on mormonism i'm I'm, my cousins are mormon they're amazing people like nothing like that i don't want to make a generalization but in my personal experience like i just felt really judged like an outsider yeah what in what way did you feel judged well they knew we were also jewish and they really would try to like convert us i guess to like only mormonism and like only go to the LDS church and like right. they wouldn't like purposely invite us to stuff on Friday nights when they knew we couldn't go and like oh got it you know so it's just like because they'll never do it to your face they'll do it inadvertently right because you know they don't want to be rude because God says you can't be rude for so sure. anyway so they just do it in like a passive way mm-hmm. where then you feel guilty for not being able to be a part of their thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't understand that at six. Obviously, I understand that now. But um, yeah, there's Mormons that I've met and they're amazing, beautiful people. And there's Mormons that I've met that I'm okay if I never meet them again. Right. Leave what to be desired. Exactly. (laughs) Are there things that you appreciate about Mormonism? Um, I'm not sure. Yes, but you also have them in Judaism. So it's like... Okay. So it's not exclusive to Yeah, yeah. no. Okay. And so you don't really feel that you are missing things from that time in your life? or No, maybe just because half of my family is Mormon. So I feel a little bit on the outside in that way. But half of my family is also Jewish. So it's like... Right. You know, so I don't feel... It's not like I'm the only one. There's also this whole half of my family that's Jewish as well. Exactly, exactly. So I don't really feel yeah okay that makes sense what what's the jewish community like there you said that you went to synagogue yeah what's it like there so to my knowledge there's only two synagogues in northern utah Mm -hmm. because there's southern utah northern utah Mm -hmm. there's a conservative one which we didn't go to we went to the reform one in park city mind you growing up in utah i lived in provo 
that I know you don't know where that is, but it's like over an hour from Park City. Okay. So every Friday, my mother would drive us over an hour just to go to synagogue. Wow. Because she's not conservative. Um, I mean, nothing against that, just she's not. And so she wanted us to go to a more reform one. And so she would go out of her way to take us to that one. Um, I went to the JCC. Surprisingly, they have one. Yeah, that's really surprising. Um, and when I was 16, I joined BBYO. But mm-hmm. when I was little, it wasn't really... There, I wasn't really a part of a community other than synagogue, but then I joined JCC and BBYO, and like, that's why I learned about Tegli, and then I learned about Masa and all those things. The rest is history. Literally. <laughs> got it. Okay, very nice. Mm. And um, so what, what was it like going to high school for you? What was your high school experience like? So freshman year, I went to a public high school. There's no Jewish school in Utah. Right. so I went to public high school and people knew I was Jewish and they didn't really care but like that's where I met the one other Jewish girl like outside of synagogue like I met her in school accidentally wow and she was like are you Mormon and I was like no I'm Jewish and she was like get out I'm Jewish and we like freaked (laughs) out because like neither of us had ever had that experience that's so exciting yeah um but everyone's like Mormon everyone wants to go to like BYU which is like a Mormon university in Utah Mm -hmm. um everyone starts finding their husband when they're like or wife when they're like 17 like it's like it's just like a weird atmosphere but most of my anti-semitism that I experienced was actually in middle school can you um speak a little more to that the anti-semitism yes so uh, the things that I really remember were like I was friends with this girl um seventh grade and her mom found out I was Jewish because she assumed I'm Mormon because in Utah you just kind of assume right and her mom found out I was Jewish and she I asked to go to her house the next week because I went to her house before and she said my mom said I can't hang out with you anymore and I said why not and she said because you're Jewish, she doesn't want you in the house. And so now this, like, really upsets me. But back then, I was really sad, and I just didn't really understand why. Yeah. Because I was like, hey, what did I do wrong? Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And then, like, people would say, like, Jew jokes about me in the bathroom when they knew I w- when they didn't know I was in there. Or, like, like that happened on one occasion. Um People would say Holocaust jokes to, like, my face, mm-hmm. which, like, I personally don't think Holocaust jokes are funny no matter who's saying them, even a Jew. I just yeah, don't I think agree. that they're funny. Um, so, yeah, it was a really weird feeling. I was very confused. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on the jokes. I think that, you know, Nazi jokes are fine because I think it's important to diminish them or disrespect them. I if think we don't laugh, fine. we'll cry a little bit. <laughs> right. Like, I think that's well and good, but I know a lot of Jews who also make Holocaust jokes at the expense of the Jews, and that, to me, is, I think, in really poor taste. I don't really care yeah. that you're also Jewish. It doesn't really make a difference. A little over a the difference. line to me, personally. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, honestly. Um, okay. And then you went on to Glee. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me about that experience. 
honestly it was literally the best 10 days of my life Whoa. to like to that date like mm-hmm. to then like it was the best 10 days of my life and I met such amazing people and I literally like get off the plane and I walk outside and I'm just in love it's beautiful like this is gonna sound so cheesy but like I honestly just felt it like home like and I know probably every Jew says that but like it really is this feeling they put something in the water here like yeah, I don't know sure. what it is but like I just I didn't know but I knew I was like I'm never going home yeah like I will be back yeah um and I learned a lot about Israel a lot that I didn't know and there's so much to Israel um that most people don't know and there's more still stuff that I don't know and understand and yes it's so complex and so beautiful and so eight months later I did Masa mm-hmm. and from Masa I just never went home wow and that was four years ago that's bananas yeah and you've been here ever since mm-hmm. wow that's kind of crazy of you. I know. No, I'm actually crazy. <laughs> no, that's I don't know amazing. what I was doing. <laughs> Any regrets? No. No. Mm-mm, never. What is something that you absolutely love about Israel? That's such a good question. Um, what is there not to love, first of all? <laughs> no, there's a few things not to love, but... Um, I would say, I mean, it's more about me than about Israel, but, like, mm-hmm. the way it makes me feel in every aspect. Like, I feel included here. I feel Jewish here. I feel, like, connected to God, which is something really recent for me. And, like, and honestly, just the people. I feel like Israelis can be really harsh, but at the same time, like, if something's happening or you need help, like... 10 people will come rushing at you yeah with do you need this do you need this do you need this and they're very like very warm people they can be crazy and loud and whatever but I feel like that's the spice and like everything else is just like the cherry on top like I think the people and the people you can surround yourself with here like even Olim like it's just such a distinct group of people that all kind of did the same journey for similar reasons and um yeah so I just love feeling like I have like a community here that's so beautiful mm-hmm. I always say that um Israelis are kind but not nice and Americans are nice but not kind I so agree with that wow yeah I feel like there's a huge distinction there and to me I much prefer the former personally mm-hmm. um I you know I, I think everyone has crazy stories about people going out of their way and bending over backwards to help Literally. you when you're an absolute stranger to them but it doesn't matter there's just yeah the jewish values that are imbued here and the fact that everyone feels like family Mm -hmm. and that middle eastern hospitality literally (laughs) it's really something that i find really comforting and also makes me feel really connected to israel and really at home because it's the same way with your family you're not very nice to them all the time but But you love them but you love them and you're very kind to them and you do anything for them and i think that matters a lot more to me than having you know the fake nice stuff casual talk exactly. and then there's no depth and that's how it was in Utah people are so polite to your face because because they have to be because those are like the rules I guess quote-unquote rules but when it comes to genuine kindness 
again I don't want to make generalizations but like in your experience in my experience it just it wasn't there yeah yeah I totally understand that um I want to talk about something that you mentioned to me when I met you this past Shabbat Mm -hmm. which I think is a very unique experience and I just want to kind of hear about how you found out that you had heart disease Mm -hmm. how old were you and just to talk about that experience a bit more so something really funny I don't remember telling you this I think I was probably really drunk (laughs) but I believe you that I told you this um I can neither confirm nor deny (laughs) um so okay so I was born with it Mm -hmm. so but they didn't know before I was born Mm. so I had it like in utero the entire time just nobody caught it Mm. so when I was born my mom thought or my parents thought that they were having like I don't know a regular baby yeah um and I wasn't eating and then in Utah I was born at home Mm. and in Utah there's a little there's a law that within I think 48 or 72 hours or whatever if you're born at home you have to take your baby to the doctor Mm -hmm. so we did that and that's where just shit hit the fan like everything was coming back wrong all the tests all the everything and they put me on a helicopter because the hospital I needed was far away and um when I was three days that was when I was three days old and and then there I had my first heart surgery Mm -hmm. open heart surgery I was three days old wow and then I've had four wow within the span of four months so the first one was three days the second one was Oh my gosh, I honestly don't... My mom's going to listen to this and be like, you're so wrong. But like... <laughs> you got all the facts wrong. I think it's like one month and then like every four weeks or something like that. I don't know precisely. But I had like heart surgeries. Like they would open your chest, close back up, open your chest, close back up. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for four months. And so much else happened in that time span that has nothing to do with my heart. And I just... I have so many other medical problems as well, but that's like the main one the main issue it's the underlying one yeah okay got it yeah yeah. and then you have a bunch of other side effects from that yeah maybe not even from that but they discovered it through testing me all of the time Mm -hmm. like I have an immune deficiency um I have something called PKU which is like I'm not gonna explain it but it's just another thing and like I got so many infections I got sepsis I got emphalitis I got like just so many problems in that time span Mm. um and yeah but eventually I went home and it was really bad but then it got really good okay yeah and then can you tell me about how this impacted you growing up um yeah so honestly it it never made me insecure and I'm so grateful for that like I was never like obviously a byproduct of all this is I have scars all over my chest Mm -hmm. and my abdomen Mm -hmm. and it was something I was never like ashamed of never like wanted to cover up and I'm really grateful for that but amazing yeah yeah and a lot of that I think is thanks to my mom she like really made me embrace it 
Um, but the mental side effects, even though I don't remember it, your body holds trauma. Mm-hmm. And thank God I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. But my body remembers it. And so I was just always sick all the time. Yeah. Even today, even like today, like if I get sick, it's, it's this thing. And it's not just like, oh, she has a cold, it'll go away. It's like she's sick. And so yeah. it's something like that I really have to take seriously. But growing up, like I was just sick all the time. Like I got chicken pox and I almost died. Like it's just like all these things um, that I have to be really, really careful about. There's things that I'll never be able to do. And, and that's okay. I've made my peace. But like, so growing up, I think it's just I had to mentally learn how to, um, I mean, as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old, I had to learn how to, like, calm myself down and get ready for the the shots and the blood draws and the, and the exams and the operations. And, like, because as much as there's people there to support you, they don't know what you're feeling and you kind of have to regulate your emotions on your own. Wow. Well, so I don't know how I did that. Yeah. <laughs> but I it's did. It's amazing maturity and for a four or five year old. Literally, I don't know how I did that, but um, I mean, it all worked out in the end. So that's yeah. good. What are some things that you can never do? Um, I mean, it's not like major things that like impact like my life per se, but like okay. I can never go skydiving. I can never go bungee jumping. I can never um, climb a mountain. I can never. I can't work out alone. I can't, Mm. um, like, until recently, this is actually amazing, until recently I could never have children. Not because I couldn't get pregnant or give birth or anything like that. It's the toll it would have on my heart uh, would, like, kill me. So I couldn't, but recently that has changed, which is the best thing ever. Um, What do you mean? How has that changed? So every year since I was born, I have to go to a cardiologist. So every year I go, they do the same thing. It's like routine for me. It's really normal. Yeah. And two months ago or three months ago, I went for my yearly one. And I didn't ask him about kids. I didn't mention kids. It was really crazy how it just came up. And he was like, like from a cardio standpoint, like I don't see how you couldn't like bear children. And so Whoa. I'm just sitting there and my friend Maya's with me and we're staring at each other and we're like, wait, what the fuck are you fucking kidding me? Right. And so it was really like this moment of like, oh my God, I can like actually have a kid, which is something I've always wanted, which is why it was so hard for me to like hear that news when I was younger. But wow. it's not like I can pop out six kids and be fine. Like I can have for one sure. and we'll see how it goes. But for like sure. the fact that I can even have one is such a miracle. So that's so beautiful yeah that's so reassuring yeah it is it's really amazing wow that's amazing that's so cool congratulations <laughs> thank nice. you so much yeah that's really meaningful Thanks. um you also mentioned that this is what naomi called it i don't know what you call mm. it but that you technically have a death day so like yeah technically um okay how do i explain that okay so with my heart disease, there's different surgeries and operations you can do to fix it. Mm. So the one that they did on me was really new. Like I know a girl who had my same exact heart disease, but she got a different surgery, different operation two years prior, and she's needed 
surgeries since then, like Mm -hmm. open heart surgeries. I haven't had an open heart surgery since I was four months old. Wow. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. Literally. But so the specific surgery that they did on me was very new, very like in the process of like testing it, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And the first person they did it on, it's kind of just based on that person. So if that person keeps Mm. like living per se which sounds so morbid but like then technically i do but also with the advancement of like medicine and like technology like hopefully like i'll like live to a semi-normal time right but it's really just depends on them i think they're i honestly don't know how old they are but um yeah wow so it's really just based on them okay okay got it you you told me that it was your life expectancy is an estimated another 14 years based on that person based off of that person so so far they're 14 years older than you and still living they yeah yeah okay yeah okay got it yeah so sometimes i feel like i need to plan my life in advance yeah which is hard to do um but I try not to just because I have hope that like I'll live until I'm 95 like yeah will that happen probably not but like I like to think that way that's amazing okay so you're living as if you're going to live forever yeah or whatever forever as long as everybody else basically yeah as long yeah. as the average yeah because it was amazing because I was thinking that you know I was just looking at you and observing you after you had told me like this giant shocking thing and I was just thinking wow she looks exactly like everyone else she acts like everyone else Mm -hmm. there's such beauty to that that despite the fact that you know you don't know exactly until when you're going to live or you think that you have a shorter life expectancy you still are doing the same things that everybody else is doing and not trying to like fast forward life and you still are choosing to invest in your future going to university and I don't know. Sometimes I think I was thinking because like now that you enlightened me to the more specifics of it, I was thinking, you know, about what it would be like. I I had initially thought that you meant that you know that you're going to die at 36 or something. But of course, you never really know. But I was thinking like what that does to somebody's mentality. And I was wondering, like, in some way, that's kind of a blessing to know when you're going to die. And I was wondering would it be better if people knew exactly when they were going to die? Because some people die prematurely and then, you know, they're not able to do all these things that they wanted to do. And yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, maybe that's... I'm not sure if it's better or worse that people don't know when they're going to die. It seems like it's kind of cruel. But let's say I knew I was going to die in a year. Mm-hmm. I would conduct myself totally differently than I would if I knew I was going to die in six years, ten years, twenty years, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. You're just acting as if you're going to live exactly like everybody else. Yeah, so, I mean, no matter what, say to there's technology and whatever, I'm still, like, I'm still sick. I'm always going to be sick. It's no, I'm never going to have a normal heart. I'm never going to experience life the way that you would or Naomi or whoever else. Mm -hmm. So from a really young age, I understood that. 
and I kind of just had to come to terms with the fact that like I might die tomorrow I might die in five years I might live until I'm 100 and I don't know and like I think and this is just personally like I think the beauty of life is the the fact that you don't know right I think that that's the point because like if you knew you wouldn't conduct your life I think the way you were supposed to I you know I appreciate that that feedback because I I play this game sometimes with my friends that we would say like oh if you were going to die next year or tomorrow or you only had 24 hours left to live how would you conduct yourself and you realize that the shorter you make the time frame the more hedonistic you become which is something interesting yeah so I actually kind of agree with you it's really interesting that if you assume that you're if you act as if you're going to live until you know the average age of of death nowadays um then it becomes more meaningful and more goal oriented but i think i just thought maybe i don't know sometimes like you you know that to be true in general but you still see people wasting away their lives and choosing to you know waste time and it just makes you think oh you don't know how long you're going to be here what if you knew you were going to die tomorrow and this is what how you're choosing to spend it you know yeah I definitely don't think that I ever take life for granted yeah um not that that like makes me a better person than anybody else I'm just saying like I do everything intentionally yeah or at least I try to um like even if I wasn't sick like I just think that it's so important to do everything with a purpose and I don't know try to use this short amount of time we have to like help other people or connect with others and experience life through other people and experience God through other people and like yeah yeah I just from a really young age you just I had to learn how to like be okay with the fact that like of of death yeah and it sounds so morbid but um I think it really helps me live life in such a meaningful way I choose my friends carefully I choose the people that I'm in relationships carefully I choose the way I treat other people carefully that's amazing because you just never know what some you just don't know who somebody is what they're going through and my mom always told me like treat every person you meet as if they're going through something horrible because they probably are that's great advice and so that's yeah that's how I do it you know it's interesting that you said you know from a young age you had to contemplate death seriously because I've noticed that rhetoric in general in our society, but I think that that's the wrong approach. I Just because, you know, it seems that whenever you talk about death, people are always, you know, oh, you know, nobody wants to talk about yeah. it. It feels like a kind of taboo or a touchy subject, or if you're talking about it, you must be depressed or something's wrong with you. Yeah. And I find that to be kind of an absurd approach, considering the fact that everybody's going to die and everybody's living and we feel fine with talking about life but nobody feels comfortable talking about death and I don't understand 
why people are so uncomfortable with discussing death. I think I it's really I important to talk about. You can only understand life while understanding death. For sure. I think everyone should really seriously contemplate death and constantly be reassessing their approach yeah. to that because the shortest period is actually going to be alive. And, you know, the majority of the, your life, you're going to be, you're gonna be dead. Whatever you're some type of whatever existence. you believe in death being right. but like that's what you're gonna be right and our time on earth is so it's a blip it's literally a blip like yeah. compared to like science and history and the amount of years the world has been a thing yeah it's unbelievable it's literally a blip and like how do you want to live it exactly so how do you want to live it <laughs> that's a really good question um, I really, and I know everyone's purpose in life is so different, but, like, mine is, I think the point of life is to connect with other people, and, like I said, just, like, experience life through other people and God through other people, and just do your best to be a good person, mm-hmm. whatever that means to you, um, and as long as I die happy, I'm good. Amazing. How how um, did you come to terms with death? It's not something that I just... It's not something I consciously did. I think I just woke up one day and I... Look, I'm afraid of death. I think everybody is a little bit. If they say that they're not, I think they're lying a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just woke up one day and I I was just fine with it because I think everything I had been through I I was just I don't know I think I came to terms with everything I had been through every surgery every operation every doctor's appointment every every emergency wow the emergency rooms every just all of it and I was like okay I'm good yeah. if I never need to do this again like I'm good right I like how earlier you said experience God through other people <laughs> could you explain a little bit more what you mean about that yeah so I am Jewish yes but I was not raised religious by any means mm-hmm. I respect it and I love it and I think it's so beautiful. Um, I personally believe that God is everywhere. God is in you and in me and in the trees and in the animals and in the people you meet. And I really think God is everywhere. And you don't need to go to a place of worship to find God. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the way that I connect with God is through everybody else is through the people in my life and by understanding them and why they do what they do and just experiencing life to the fullest and experiencing everything I guess God has to offer yeah and so I recently kept Shabbat for the first time yes (laughs) and it was an incredible experience and it honestly just felt like I was hanging out with my friends for 24 hours. Yeah. And I just didn't have my phone. Like, it really... Mm-hmm. Honestly, by 2 p.m. on Saturday, I was like, okay, I'm good. But, like, <laughs> I made it the whole time. And, like, 
I was just with my friends and I really felt I try a lot to be present in the moment because I think that's really important and on Shabbat it wasn't hard at all yeah because I had I I was with the best people and I don't know I just so I think that's what I mean is like I think you can connect with God through the people you surround yourself with yeah that's amazing I I love what you said about how you felt about your first Shabbat I think I think something interesting that I've noticed is you know they say that the Torah was written to be applicable for all of time Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes you see certain things and you're not exactly sure of the purpose of them until you start practicing them and sometimes there are ebbs and flows and in in their relevancy in the world but I think Shabbat is something that feels more relevant now than ever you know I I'm studying like digital innovation in my business degree and I think technology is amazing and it's an amazing thing what humans are able to accomplish and how they're you know how they're just reflecting God and their creativity and I think it's really just something a a sight to behold truly but at the same time everyone knows all of the drawbacks that it's providing and everyone talks about how negative the effects are of technology and that's something that I think everyone's really aware of and I think the fact that you know I keep Shabbat now it just makes me feel one day a week like a human (laughs) you know every other day I feel like a cyborg pretty much I think everyone feels that their phone their their electronics their Mm -hmm. virtual selves are just you know an extension of themselves that it, it, it really just makes you feel subhuman yeah. and I think that that you know it says like in prayer services on Friday night for Shabbat it it talks and I always really I don't know this always really affects me it says that you know the the Jews keep Shabbat and Shabbat keeps them and I think that that's so true because it really makes me feel like a human again and fully present and reminds me of everything that's actually important because you can get so caught up in all the menial things and everything that you have to do in order to just be a human in life but this really just recenters you and I'm so glad that you had a good experience of your first Shabbat honestly it makes you really happy it was amazing and it just yeah I agree I think it just makes you realize what actually matters yeah at the end of the day and I think and this is gonna sound so small but to me it was really meaningful it's just the first one that comes to my mind I was on a trip to New York in high school um senior year and we were in New York City and my friend and I were taking pictures you know 17 year old girls and like we were taking all these photos and this man walks past me and he says looks me dead in my eyes and he says you're really beautiful and it's not in a creepy way it's not in a guy trying to hit on me yeah Like, he didn't try to stay and talk to me or anything. He literally just genuinely thought I was so beautiful. And he just walked away. Yeah, no agenda. No, no agenda. No, it doesn't expect anything from me. Mm -hmm. And I just stood there and my friend looked at me and she was like, what just happened? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I think he just spoke to my soul. Like, I don't. So it's really small, but it meant a lot to me at the time. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody except for, like, my mother had ever genuinely been like you're beautiful right and the interaction you have with a stranger the 
whenever someone asks me that question, like, that's the thing I think of. I think that's really amazing. Mm. I appreciate that a lot. Mm. I, yeah, it, it also feels, it, I feel like, of course, that feels a lot more meaningful because he didn't want anything from you. Yeah. You know, and also the word choice is important there, I think, because beauty seems to hold a lot more value than saying something like you're pretty. There's something that really shows about your soul. Or you're hot or you're sexy or right. all like, these things. That's really just about your shell. But mm-hmm. then if somebody says you're beautiful, it seems like that encapsulates yeah. also your soul. Exactly. You know, why do you think people like beautiful things? Beautiful people. Why do we like looking at that? I think beauty subjective, first of all, but... But not that subjective. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, if we're like talking about, is, like, but... beauty standards, then that's not subjective, you're right. I think, I think again, it's a society thing. I think we're taught that we need to look this way or we need to be with people who look this way. Or I think we put a lot of value or worth in, like, the outside of something. And so we choose it solely based on that. And we like to look at beautiful things because it's in our biology. I don't know. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that beautiful people exist. So do I. We need them. Yeah. I think they make... Balance it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Balance out the uggas. <laughs> no, everyone's beautiful on some level. No, for sure. I think that's one of God's greatest gifts to humanity is that people can find beauty in genuinely any type of person. And you see yeah. everyone ending... Everyone's able to kind of pair off. I think I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for that because... If it were truly just about who's beautiful, then only beautiful people would get together. Nobody else would have anyone. And then there would only be beautiful people in the world, which, like, that's boring. Because then if there's only beautiful people, who's actually beautiful? And then the standard just becomes beautiful people, and you need to have the contrast in order to appreciate it. Amazing. We're so smart. We are so smart. (laughs) We figured out so much as now. Literally. (laughs) Okay. What is a dream you have for your future self? It's going to sound so basic, but just to have a family... Uh, for a long time, I didn't think I could have one. Yeah. Um, and especially with my personal family situation, it would make sense if you knew me why having a family would just be hard for me because my family dynamic growing up wasn't the best. So just having a family that's mine and that I create out of like love and kindness and respect and the home that I'll have for my kids... Um, will be like a good one I think that's so amazing (laughs) and I'm so glad that you're family oriented because I feel like that's really lacking nowadays and people are starting to be a lot more career focused which I think is really sad because you know a career can be special interesting meaningful in some ways but ultimately in your career you're totally replaceable in your family like you can never be replaceable and you're infinitely important to those people and yeah, I'm I'm so grateful that that's your goal, and I don't think that's simple at all. I think that's exactly the right focus that you should have. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, a career woman is great, and, like, go out and do those things and reach those goals because, like, apart from being a mom, you need to be your own person personally. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when it boils down to it, like, I just want kids and, like, a husband to come home to. For sure. The other day I was passing by a park with all these kids and, you know, we're in school right now, which is essentially investing in your future career, right? right. And that's all I'm really focusing on right now. Mm. And you feel focused on that and you feel that you're striving for for that. And mm. then 
just when I was looking at these kids and these parents, like I just started to cry because it was just like, Mm. that's all you really, really want. Like I will do the other stuff because I have to, but, and, and, you know, I'm sure I'll find meaning in it. And I love learning about the world and I love, you know, creating things. I think Mm. that's amazing, amazing. But when you just look at that, those simple things and thinking Mm. about just, you know, the history of how you ended up being here and how many families produced you and like how yeah. you're going to create your own family culture and the family culture that you you came from and yeah. just like the progression of the generations and how much we're able to achieve. And I don't know, I just, that to me is the most exciting and moving thing, you know, so I'm really grateful that that's mm. your vision for yourself and for yeah. your future. I think that's Hopefully beautiful. One day. I, I, <laughs> I think it will be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, by the will of God. (laughs) And, you know, in closing, Megan, do you have a question for my next guest? I do. Um, I want to know how they experience God. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Great question. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you for sharing your soul with our viewers and me. And thank you to everyone for listening. And I hope you have a blessed day. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity 